Well, guys, we got a team talk, team talk 2020. Um, I don't know what it was like for you, but when when we had a team talk at half time, it would normally involve ice cream, sort of a container, but not ice cream in it. It would have oranges. I don't know if you were a part of that generation. I think the, the, the younger generation nowadays, you probably get some kind of video replays of the first half and your various coaches come around you and you get energy aid and protein shakes. But in my day, it was like an orange. And sometimes it was a nice orange and sometimes it wasn't a nice orange. But that was as good as it got in team talk. And I want you to have that mindset. Uh, we're gathered. It's half time. We've kind of had what, what, what kind of a time? A massive time, right? And as individuals, we're wrapping up the year and we're thinking ahead to 2021. So it's a good time to get in a huddle and start to think, okay, how am I wrapping up this year? I'm a little worried that some of us have put a little bit too much hope into 2021. We're like, it's all going to be different. I must just caution. I'm just a little worried here. We're going to wake up and it's still going to be kind of the same thing, just 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 an extra digit on, on the date, right? So I think as individuals, we've got to look very carefully where are we placing our hope at the moment. I've been thinking quite a lot about this. Uh, some of you know I turned 40 on Saturday last week, 40 years old. Yeah, you're going to hear, you're going to hear the maturity flowing from, from now onwards. But quite fortunately, um, just to catch you up, I spent most of my life on the other side of the mountain there in Ronnebosch. And about two and a half years ago, my wife and I moved to the side to, along with a team of people, give leadership to the inner city congregation. It was a big life change, stopped lecturing at UCT, became kind of a pastor. And so as I hit 40, I didn't have one of those moments of like, I've been doing the same thing for so many years. Should I still be? In many ways, I was just filled with gratitude for the privilege of, of um, being able to serve in this community. But I know that not everyone's in that position. You are looking at some real changes. The waves of COVID have hit you. As I know of many people facing retrenchments or just new opportunities. It's a good time for a team talk as individuals. But then secondly, it's a good time for a team talk for us as a community. We said right at the beginning of the year, we're feeling like God wants to mature us. And we said, well, what does it mean to be more mature? We, we thought maybe the best definition was in a world where there's endless possibilities, many, many things we could be doing. Our job as a leadership team was to always remind ourselves of what was eternally important. What was eternally important? What should we always be reminding ourselves of? Well, we said it was being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus would do if he was us. Because really, Jesus is God with us, God made flesh, the creator of the heavens and the earth, coming to us, revealing himself, and saying, follow me. And so we wanted to do that. And as we did that, we would grow in maturity this year. And so we spent 24 weeks looking at the book of Mark, essentially looking at the question, well, who is Jesus? And last week, we answered that question with Peter saying, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. You're the one that was spoken of, whispered of, declared that would come to set the captives free, to remind us of who God was and, and so that we could experience homecoming. And so we spent 24 weeks. Don't worry, in 2021, there is something I can guarantee you. We're going to keep going through Mark, and we're going to be looking at the last week of Jesus' life. First eight chapters, it covers a lot of material, but it, the pace slows down next year. And we're going to be looking at the last week of his life as he moves towards the cross. Before we get there, we're going to be doing a Christmas series looking at the gift that Christ is as he comes as our Messiah in such an unexpected way, right? Born to an unwed mother in a manger, completely not how we would expected God to arrive. But before we get to, to Christmas and, hey, we've just covered Mark, we're in a huddle now. The oranges are out and we get to think about 
what God could be saying to us as a community. This is a message that I've been able to prepare and been kind of getting quite excited about this, a message that has fed my own soul. And so I'm really um, looking to serve you in this moment. As I've been reflecting on COVID, there's obviously a very real danger of being exposed to the virus. I mean, we've seen that. There's a danger of being exposed to the virus. But if you're like me, you'd have to admit that you've been exposed by the virus. The, the virus has come along and it's, and it's rocked your world, the foundations. You suddenly realize you're a little bit disappointingly not as mature as you thought you were. Things that you, you didn't know were inside of you have come out in the season. But I, I don't want you to leave thinking, oh, you know, I've been exposed and I'm, I'm just going to go away. I want you leaving today full of courage, full of faith full of knowledge that God sees absolutely everything that's been going on in your life and he's relentless in his love and his pursuit for you. And it's a powerful pursuit because he's a powerful God and he's a great God. And so as we huddle around now, I hope that you will leave today with deep lungfuls of appreciation for the greatness of God. And that's why we're putting the bulk of our time of singing after this message because I believe there'll be something happening as we open up God's word that will... Put fuel in our tanks to worship together. See, if you've, if you've been exposed by the virus like I have, I think there are different ways it manifests, but I, I would suggest the number one thing I've been kind of realizing where I go wrong, the root cause, if you had to like get right to the bottom of things, is that I tend to inflate myself and I shrink God in my life. I tend to inflate my, my life circumstances, my problems, I struggle to see outside of myself, and I certainly struggle to see a God who's powerful, who's good, and who's loving. And so what we're really going to be doing today as we open up Scripture is trying to get that problem sorted by examining not how wonderful we are, but how wonderful God is. We're going to right-size God. We're going to, we're going to look at the creator of the heavens and the earth, and we're going to get a, just a sense of His power. I put it to you that there's sicknesses that we suffer from that have been exposed by the virus at a soul level that can only be cured by the medicine of a, of a right view of God, by the medicine of a, of a true appreciation for the greatness of God, for the power of God, for a God who, who's majestic and awesome. So let's take our medicine together as we open up Scripture. This is a challenging message, but I believe it's a message that's going to help us wrap up this year magnificently. A.W. Tozer wrote a book, The Knowledge of the Holy, speaking about how important it is for us to know God truly. And this is his challenging quote. He says, It is my opinion that the Christian conception of God is so decadent as to be utterly beneath the dignity of the Most High God and actually to constitute for professed believers something amounting to a moral calamity. He said there's a big problem when we get the view, our view of God wrong. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are un worthy of him. And so to, to cure this, we need, we need to have some thoughts today that are worthy of him. So we're going to go to the book of Isaiah it's in the Old Testament, and it's a book written by a prophet who had an incredible encounter with God. We read about it in chapter 6, where he suddenly comes to the temple and he sees God, and he goes, whoa, this is God. This is the living God. This is the powerful God. And he, and he utters these rather famous words that will appear on the screen. He said, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He has this encounter with the mighty 
God. And what you'll see in the, in the first 39 chapters is Isaiah essentially pleading with the people, saying, you've got to see this God. You've got to see how big he is. You've got to see how, how in control he is, how majestic he is. You guys are wandering away from God, and, and you're getting caught in all these cul-de-sacs of your own thinking where you're big and God's small, but, but recognize that God's big, you're small. And he tries for 39 chapters to get that message across. In many ways, he's afflicting the comfortable. He's saying, guys, you're comfortable, but you're going down the wrong direction. Turn. Understand who God is. And then in chapter 40, it changes completely. And and chapter 40, the verse starts like this. The chapter starts like this. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. It's interesting. For 39 chapters, he's been pleading with them. Turn back to God. Now, all of a sudden, he says, comfort, comfort. What's happening? Well, from now until the rest of the book of Isaiah, he he has a mind shift change. He says, you know what? You're not going to listen to me. You're not going to listen to me. You're going to wander off. And the king of Babylon is going to come, and you're going to be taken into exile. Jerusalem is going to be sacked, and you're going to find yourself in a foreign place, in a foreign leader, with foreign customs. And you're going to think that God's done with you. But God's already telling me now that that he's got a message for you, that he's going to come looking for you. He's going to come and comfort you. Even though you ignored him and you wandered off and the consequences have been terrible, God will still come to comfort you. How is he going to comfort them? I think he's going to comfort them with, again, a glimpse of his greatness. Again, a glimpse of who he is. And so we're going to read together. This is going to be our passage for this evening. Isaiah 40 from verse uh, from verse 12 to 13, just two verses. So Isaiah writing, comforting them, he says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? It's the passage we're going to look at. Thanks, God. To be to God for his word. And, and what, what Isaiah's, he's got a vision. They're going to be, they're going to be I mean, lovely Afrikaans word is diamakar. I mean, they are going to be, they're going to be in all kinds of trouble as they are in a foreign land and a foreign leadership with foreign customs. He says, I'm, I'm going to comfort you, and I'm going to comfort you with a view of who God is. Perhaps you feel a little bit like that as we wrap up 2020. You're like, I don't know which side's up. God wants to comfort you with a, a view of who he is. So essentially what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at this passage. And I say, if you find yourself comfortable here tonight, you kind of have gone through COVID, it's been okay. Perhaps God wants to provoke you or almost afflict you. He wants to say, are you sure you're comfortable with your hope in the right place? Are you sure that you're comfortable with, with something that is unshakable, that, that age and death cannot even rob from you, that, that, that you know that you know that you know that you, that you are with, with the Creator? Or perhaps you've been afflicted. And you are experiencing life being turned upside down. What God would do to you is he'd come along and he'd comfort you. See, God tends to do that. He afflicts the comfortable, but he comforts the afflicted. We see that with Isaiah. And he wants to come along and breathe hope into your scenario. So what today is all about is looking at this passage and declaring God is great. That's what this team talk is about, is to take our eyes off ourselves and say God is great. And to try and just get a little glimpse of that as we read this passage and draw applications for our lives. So we're told right up front that God is the one who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hands. So if you, to cup your hand, I don't have very big hands. The mourn hands are not big, hey, buddy? You can, you can attest. They, they're skillful, but they, they're small, right? And maybe you've got bigger hands, 
But the average hand, I've done some research on this, can get 100 milliliters into it. Okay, that's it. 100 milliliters. God holds all the waters in his hand. That's the picture we've been given. Every day, 24 hours, the world has approximately, the earth has approximately 45,000 thunderstorms. Each thunderstorm has on average about 100 tons of water deposited. That's a lot of water happening, and that's just the clouds. When you start to look at the ocean, we're looking at 328 million cubic miles of water. We're told God holds that in the palm of his hand. If you're a, a parent, there are not a lot of us here I recognize, but you would have had kids coming home with the water cycle project. And it has this little picture. It kind of does the whole thing and forms a cloud and then comes down. And, and of course, as Cape Tonians, we love the water cycle, right? We're into that stuff. Ever since day zero, we are like, tell me more about water. We must be the one city in the world that monitors dam levels as if they're celebrities, you know? Oh, did you see Tiavara's? So good, you know? We, we're into water. We still struggle to flush toilets. I'm like, I don't know if you still struggle. I'm like, do we really, guys? I know the dams tell us we can, but it still feels wrong. We've seen water and how valuable it is, but we also are super aware, if you chat to anyone along our coastline, of how powerful water can be. In many ways, we've got a deep friendship with water, but I think we've also got a healthy respect for water. Just along our coast, you don't have to walk on the prom long before you'll come across a plaque that will describe to you what happened to the HMS Athens, just there by the hotel school. Or by the lighthouse, there's the seafarer, where you'll still sometimes see a few dinghies and scuba divers going off to look at the ship that is about 30 meters off the prom. Littered throughout Table Bay, there are all kinds of shipwrecks. That's why the breakwater was actually built and why we have a harbor here today is precisely because even though we got a bay, the, the, the water would, would sort of... Um, deposit all those ships onto the rocks and onto the sand. And so we're very aware, and if you chat to a, a fisherman or someone who works with the ocean, the longer they've worked with the ocean, it seems, the more the level of respect there is. It doesn't matter what happens, the ocean in a, in a blink of an eye can turn. And I, it's not a perfect metaphor, there's no perfect metaphor, but when we look at Scripture, we often see that this mixture of friendship and, and healthy respect comes together in our relationship with God as well. There's so much benefit to be had from water and so much to be enjoyed. But at the same time, it's not something to be taken for granted, something to be treated lightly. The longer you spend, the more respect you should have for who it is that you're interacting with. I think of a few kayakers that went out from Three Anchor Bay. We can see them from our, uh, the flat that we rent, and they went out joyfully, and then, as you know, the wind comes up, and all of a sudden they found themselves a long way away. And it wasn't long before a little rubber duck went out, uh, a rope was thrown out, and these paddlers stopped becoming paddlers, and they became like little surf ski people just holding the rope. There was nothing they could do. It was straight into the wind, and they had to kind of get pulled back into Three Anchor Bay. There's, there's, there's so much to be enjoyed, but there's also so much to be aware of. We are fragile. We can hold 100 milliliters in our hands, but God holds all of that in his hands, giving us just a glimpse for his power and his majesty. But it's not just the water that he holds in the hollow of his hand. If you, if you uncupped your hand and you did this, it's sort of like an island-style thing, that's what's regarded as a, a span, right? That's what's called the span. And we're told that our sun, our planets, our moons, our solar system, our galaxy, and all the galaxies, it's as if they can be contained just there in the width of a banana, effectively. God can cup the oceans, and he can have all that he's made between his thumb and his pinky. 
Scripture speaks about in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And I'm, I'm, I'm all for science, and I hope you understand that those two things, in the beginning, God and science, are not incompatible at all. In fact, they, they, they work beautifully in tandem. The one describing why we see what we see, and the other describing how it is that we see what we see. And I've spent time looking at Louis Giglio's talks, Andrew Wilson's book, Incomparable, and Time on Ted, just trying to understand a little bit of the heavens that God has made. Because it is God who said, in the beginning, let there be light, and let there be earth, and let there be these oceans. It's God who created this. And you'll listen to scientists, the one guy who's my favorite, he says, you know, normally you'd throw a ball up and you'd expect it to come down. But it's almost like our universe got started and it just kept going, and it kept going at an accelerating pace. I don't know why it did that. It's this comment. Do you know that we live in a universe that is still accelerating as it goes away? It is, it is blowing people's minds as to how it can be that that is what happened. And I'd say, well, when God spoke, things happened. <laughs> and there was, there was a lot of momentum to what he had to say. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to just, just have a little glimpse of all that others know in this universe. And let it again remind us of how majestic and how great God is. Let's start with a photo of ourselves. Let's, let's feel good about ourselves. There's the earth, right? And hey, most pictures from NASA, unfortunately, do have North America at the center. Um, it's hard to find one without, without that. But hey, I'm grateful that they're paying for that image. And there it is. We can look at the earth. And that, remember, wasn't an image a lot of other people saw until quite recently. We take it for granted, but the most majority of people would never have seen what their home planet looked like. We look pretty good. Now let's look at ourselves compared to some other planets, right? Yeah, Venus, Mars, Mercury, Pluto, you know, is it, should it be one? No, controversial. But there they all are. And again, we're feeling pretty important. Now I want to add in some other planets that make their way around the sun. Suddenly, good old Jupiter makes us look puny, Right? Jupiter, well over 300 times our size. Suddenly we're starting to feel that we're not perhaps at the center of the universe as much as we thought we were. And now I introduce you to the sun. That's what all of us have in common. We all go around the sun. Good news for us is that we do not come anywhere close to that, that close to the sun, right? That is just so that you can see what the earth looks like in relation to the sun. We're incredibly, incredibly um, grateful that we're not that close. We are 147 million kilometers away from the sun, right? We're not nearly that close. And Natasha, if you go back to that image, you'll notice that there's sort of fire leafing off the surface. The reason there's fire leafing off the surface is because the sun has fire leafing off the surface. Uh, every second on the sun, the amount of energy that gets created is the equivalent of 92 billion one megaton nuclear bombs going off. Every second is 92 billion one megaton nuclear bombs going off. If you took all the energy that humans have created over all the time we've been on Earth, we cannot power the sun for one second. We have not come close to generating the amount of power that the sun creates in one second. And it's our sun, and we're very proud of our sun. (laughs) And you, you zoom out, and you now get the sun in relation to all the planets that orbit around it. And again, you can see there the sun really does dwarf all of us. What we've all got in common is we managed to take a trip around the sun. Our particular trip uh, takes 365 days. We go at quite a speed. We go at 107,000 kilometers an hour, 107,000 kilometers an hour. We're whipping around the sun. If someone says to you, oh, COVID sucks, man. I haven't been able to travel this year. You can tell them, no, no, you have traveled. You have traveled. You have 
traveled a considerable distance. You are traveling right now. You're going at 107,000 kilometers an hour around the sun. That is what your birthday is, by the way. It's one trip around the sun, landing back. When you complete that, you can celebrate another birthday. The incredible thing is this is just one solar system, which goes around one sun. How many other suns are there? How many other stars, which is effectively what the sun is? We love our particular star, our particular sun, but how many others are there? The incredible thing is that there are billions and billions and billions and billions. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. I'm understating that there are more stars in the heavens than there are sand on the seashores. I know you don't believe me, so I'll make the case as we go along. If you were in the Milky Way, which is our neighborhood, right? So the sun has a solar system, and then you look out, you use a galaxy, and our galaxy is the Milky Way. And if you look at the Milky Way and you, and you just start counting stars, and you do three a second, you manage to count for three a second, it would take you 24 hours a, a day, a thousand, uh, sorry, a thousand years to just count stars, a thousand years. But if you go out of our Milky Way, if you start including other galaxies and you start counting stars at three a second, it would take you 100 trillion years. We're starting to reach a scale that I don't know how you feel, but I, I can't cope with it. I'm like, I don't know how big this gets. I, I, I just struggle. It's a little bit like if, if you're in a lift. We've got a lift in our apartment block, and you look at your kid in the lift, and then you see the kid and the kid and the kid and the kid and the kid because the, the two mirrors are facing, and you can look, whoo, and you're like, whoa, look at all my kids. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling when the mirrors line up, and you're, and you're kind of like, whoa. That's a little bit of how I feel when I start to look at the scale of things. There's an image up there which is something um, called Pleiades. It's 440 light years away. What's a light year? Well, a light year is how far light travels in a year. Let me work this out for you. Our sun, which is setting off all those nuclear bombs, hits us after eight minutes and 20 seconds. That light from the sun sustains life. I mean, that's the reason why we have life here. Photosynthesis can kick on. We're so grateful for the sun, and it's the power that it gives us, the energy it gives us to, to keep our, our lives going. That's a long way, 147 million kilometers, but it's traveled in eight minutes. It's because the speed of light is 300,000 kilometers a second. Light moves fast. If you had to send light around the equator, in one second it would manage to travel seven and a half times around our earth. So it moves. How far would light then travel? In eight minutes it manages to get to earth. How far would it travel in a year? The answer is nine trillion kilometers. Nine trillion kilometers is nine with 12 zeros behind it. That's how far light travels in a year. And that's the measuring stick which astronomers need to use as they zoom out of Earth, as they try and get a sense of scale. They have to say, man, the light year is pretty much the only thing that really helps us measure. And what you're looking at there, Pleiades, is 440 light years away. By the way, if you're anything like me, you're like, if something happened to the sun, what's plan B, right? Where's, where's the next sun? Like, where's our plan B? Unfortunately for us, it's 4.25 light years away. So while the sun hits us after eight minutes, plan B sun is over four light years away and, and is not very strong. <laughs> not good news. What's Pleiades doing there? What's Pleiades doing there? It's, it's there praising God. It's there displaying the glory of God's creation. In the book of Job, he's challenged, and God says to him, can you, can you hold these stars in your hand, the Pleiades, this constellation? 
because I can. Let's zoom out a bit. These photos come from NASA. This is the Hourglass Nebula. This is 8,000 light years away. 8,000 light years away. The star in the center is busy dying, and it's forming this kind of shape, this eyeball shape. I don't have much to say on the next few other than just to say they look quite nice. This is the Helix Nebula, which again is just sitting out there on Earth. You can get all these images off the Hubble telescope. They're freely available. How's this cool one? It's called a Stardust Ring. And now we leave the Milky Way. We're actually leaving our particular part of the neighborhood, our galaxy, and now we're looking at other galaxies further apart. And this particular image is 28 million light years away. So the light you're looking at there was actually sent to us 28 million light years ago. You are looking into the past right now. Because a lot's happened over the last 28 million years, but what's hitting your eyeballs is from 28 million years ago. That is the Sombrero Galaxy, because that's what it looks like. And the final one for tonight is the Whirlpool Galaxy, which, again, is part of what is called a Grand Design Galaxy. Those two are getting sucked into each other. They reckon it consists of about 300 to 500 billion stars. It looks like there's going to be a massive collision, but the spaces between all of that is so huge that they're probably going to go right through each other and not actually have any collisions. That's how much space there is. Those red, um, those red pinkish zones are known as star birthing centers where stars are, are getting born as we speak. Now, what Isaiah is saying is God holds all of this between his, his, his pinky and his thumb. He created all this. He, he spoke it and it came into being. And all of this is there to praise him, to declare his goodness. If you're like me, you overuse some words. You say, oh, Diego Maradona, he was awesome. He was an amazing player, you know. Taylor Swift, her latest album, majestic, you know. You use words, but you've actually got the scale totally wrong when you start to just take a step out and go, light years, galaxies, incredible beauty. That is who God is, and that is the God who we can worship together. When you, when you see God and you, and you, and you see him as, as great and as creator, like the psalmist, like David, I think you'd say words like this. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? I mean, who are we in, in the greater scheme of these galaxies? I mean, we're one of seven billion other people on a planet which isn't that particularly big, especially when you look at Jupiter, going around one star, which is actually not particularly impressive when looking at all the other stars. We, we, start to, we start to get a right sense of scale when we look at who God is. And we ask ourselves, who are we then? And this is where Isaiah goes on. He says, you know, you have got, you have got the water in the hollow of your hand. You've got all the heavens in the span of your, of your thumb and your pinky. But look at this. You've also enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure. You've weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. You've, you're getting closer to home now, right? You're getting into an, our, our neighborhood, and you're noticing a God who's not so busy creating all these galaxies that he's ignored what's happening right on earth. In fact, you've got a God who's intensely aware of what's happening in our lives, who sees it all. And that's both frightening and and good news. I mean, it's frightening news in the sense that this awesome God knows absolutely everything about me. But it's also good news because it means that we're not cosmic orphans flopping around here. There's, there's a God who's created us. And that word dust is important because it goes back to Genesis where we're told that 
out of the dust of the earth. Who did God make? He made us, male and female. He made us in his image. He said, I'm going to put something of my stamp, something of who I am on you. You're not some kind of cosmic fluke. You are made in my image. And of course, I'm here measuring the mountains, here keeping things in balance. I'm, I'm aware of everything about your life. Isaiah is the one, remember, who said, I knitted you together in your mother's womb. I know absolutely everything about you. I made you. And at the root cause of a lot of our difficulties, because we look at the stars, we go, those are beautiful. But I look at the earth and I go, man, we've got some beauty, but we've also got a lot of darkness mingled in here. What happened? Well, it's, it's, the, it's the root cause of a lot of our problems, which is that we've made ourselves big and we've made God small. We've placed our priorities ahead of his, and we've believed the lie that actually you can't trust God. You can't trust God. You need to take things into your own hands, sort yourself out. Sin at its core is exactly that, making much of ourselves and distrusting God. And what does God do when he sees all of that? He can, he can look down, he can see that what he's made, and he can see the injustices that are, that are perpetrated by you and I. God doesn't back off, but he steps in. He sends his son, Jesus Christ this great gift that we're going to be looking at in the build-up to Christmas. The same God who holds water in his hand and who has the heavens in the span of his hand sent his son, Jesus Christ, whose hands were pierced on a cross. It's the same God who, who was that radical in his love and his generosity and in his rescuing work towards us. It's, it's Jesus whose word said, let there be light and, and, and let, let earth be formed. It's the same Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. The same words were spoken. It is finished, declaring that the rescuing work he performed had been done. Oh, yes, we are cosmically insignificant. Oh, yes, we are cosmically significant because of what Jesus has done. And, of course, his greatness was put on display there. Not only was he powerful enough to overcome death as he rose from the grave, but he was so good that he chose that death so he could reconcile us and bring us home. What do you do in response to this? Three quick applications. I think, firstly, we should, we should endeavor to right-size God. If you're like me and you go about your day, you just got the wrong proportions to God, and you've got the wrong proportions to yourself, right? It's like, crisis, oh, my gosh. Just take a step back and think, I'm on a rock hurtling around the sun right now at 107,000 kilometers an hour. The fact that I failed accounts one. It's going to be okay. I need perspective. And I need that to wash over my life. That's what, that's what Isaiah speaks about. That's the radical shift he says. He says, who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? He's saying, don't go to God with like all the advice. God, here we go. Here's, here's the counsel. This, this, this. Then we'll be sorted. That's what you need to do. No, he's saying, no one, no one can give this God, this majestic God, the right counsel. He doesn't need it. What he's offered you is his immeasurable spirit. Jesus, when he's resurrected, goes to his disciples. He breathes on them. He says, peace I give you. He promises the Holy Spirit. He says, don't come to me to counsel me. Come to me to receive the counselor. Come to me to receive the comforter. Come to me to receive life in abundance. That's the invitation to us. And we need to right-size God. Uh, 
think it's been a while since we have had a look at a few Galaxy photos, so I want to show you another one. Here's, here's the Milky Way. By the way, we've never left the Milky Way, so no one actually knows what we look like. But that is our galaxy. That is our home address. Where are we in that? We're not in the middle. We'd be dead if we're in the middle. We are, uh, Natasha, just go back one. I'll show you guys. We are actually here in the two sort of white bands there. We're actually there. The sun can't even be a pixel, right? Because if it was a pixel, it would be too big in the image. The sun is not even that big. So you can imagine what Earth looks like. Can you imagine what seven billion of us look like, right? That's where we find ourselves. Luckily, we are in what's called an inhabitable zone. And if you go back out to the Milky Way, you'll see here um, that we are 100,000 light years across, and, and that is our home address. That is our galaxy. We're trying to right-size ourselves. How many other galaxies do you think there are? That's a pretty impressive galaxy, right? We've got the moon in there. We've got the stars. We've got some nice pretty pictures Paul showed us. How many others do you think there are like that? Okay, the latest number is 200 billion. We contain billions of stars, and there are probably 200 billion other galaxies just like us. So there's 200 billion of billions of, of stars. The Hubble telescope, you guys can go and check it out, um, has been taking great images. Its kind of lens got fixed the other day. It's doing good work. And they now came back and they said, um, we reckon they're actually 10 more times galaxies than we first thought. So you can already start to see the number growing. You spend time on the NASA website and you'll start to see some incredible images. This one I quite like. They called it the Cinnabon <laughs> galaxy. It's like there's some guy going, what does this look like? Cinnabon. <laughs> like, it's just like quite a cool job. There's, on the left-hand side, you can click. It's updated three days ago. They've got the Whirlpool Galaxy. They just send you these images back to you that, that are just talking about God's glory, God's praiseworthiness. You might say to me, Paul, tonight I came for a good time. You're making me feel small. Paul, you're making me feel small. My, my, my comment to you is, no, 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 no. I don't want you to feel small. I want you to know that you're small. I want you to really get it, right? Like, this is not theoretical. This is true. You are incredibly small. But you've got a great God who loves you and has come for you. Andrew Wilson says in his book I recommend, Incomparable, he says, in a God-shrinking and irreverent generation, we must be careful to remember that he is God Almighty, not God Almighty. Without doubt, Yahweh on high is mighty. We need to right-size God. And secondly, we need to make our souls happy in the Lord. You know, this is something that's fed my soul. As I've waked up in the morning, I've looked at these images, I've thought about them, I've gone, this is incredible. And you say, Paul, but how? I mean, you're so small, you're so insignificant in this thing. How does it feed your soul? Well, I stop and remind myself that the God who created all of this is the same God who sent his son, came to rescue me. I start my day, I don't know how you do it, there's an alarm, there's normally coffee, there's some stretching, maybe some pull-ups, some push-ups, you eventually sit down with scripture, what are you trying to do in that moment, what are you trying to do when you spend time with God? I think of this from George Muller, this is kind of what I try and do every morning, I say the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. It's just, just to wake the day and go, who is the Lord again? I'm not trying to make my soul happy because that's temporary, but I'm in the Lord, it's permanent. It's, it's part of the greatness and majesty of God. It's the moment I remind myself that God is someone to be feared, yes, but he's someone who's extended friendship towards me. Like that ocean, I can look at it and go, yo, look at all those galaxies, look at the billions of stars, yo, that is incredible, that is something to be respected, that is much bigger than I am. But like 
the ocean represents an opportunity for life and for fishing and great sunsets and just there's a call to it. God in the same way says to me, but I've extended friendship to me. Don't just fear me, but accept my invitation of friendship. The good news I get to declare is that you don't have an identity that you need to achieve with God. You've got an identity received. Like those kayakers went out. They couldn't rescue themselves. How they got back was they just clung to a rope that pulled them back into Three Anchor Bay. That's the good news of the gospel. It's a message that doesn't say do more, do more. It's a message that says accept what Christ has done. Accept his offer of friendship, of his reconciliation. You've rebelled against God. I've rebelled against God. But he's paid the price, which is death, so that you can come home, so that I can come home. We're not an impressive group of people. We're a rescued group of people that are just clinging to the cross, saying he's bringing us home. And it's on that basis that we stand. And that makes your soul happy in the Lord. That means that you can start the day saying, he is great, he is good, and he loves me. Finally, what we're going to do now is we're going to worship, and you can uh, respond where you're at. What we're going to initially do is we're going to put up this little uh, bit of a psalm. It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God, right? That's sometimes the most appropriate thing when we freshly are awakened to the greatness of God. We get a sense of God. I've, I, I need to right-size you now. I've, I've had the wrong proportions to you. I haven't seen you as great. My soul has got, has got sick because actually it hasn't had the medicine of your greatness and your friendship at work in my life. This is something we can all do together as we can celebrate who God is in worship. But first, let us be still and respond to him. Let us declare that he's worthy. For some of us, it might be responding to him for the first time and saying, God, I accept what Christ has done on my behalf. I don't come to counsel you. I come to receive the counselor. Just make yourself open to receive from the Holy Spirit. Be still and know that I'm God. And once that time has passed, Ruan will tell us to stand and we're going to get to sing together and worship him. And you might have a, a verse, a scripture, something you want to encourage us with. Come to the front with Kyle and you can share that as we worship together. God, right now, like the psalmist, we are going to be still and we want to know that you are God. Come, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Some of us need your comfort. We felt like the years wrapping up and we bruised and battered. Come and comfort the afflicted, God. And some of us have been quite comfortable up until this moment and your spirits at work in us, provoking us to the depths of who you are, to measure ourselves not by any other criteria but but by your love come Holy Spirit let's be still and know that He is God